Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's Tuesday the 24th of March. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Kate Mason. And this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Remember, you can always get in touch with us at Andy Brassel, at KVL Mason on Twitter, and Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com on the email. Yeah, Jules is a bit under the weather this week. Uh, get well soon, mate. Uh, so we're very, very lucky to have Kate step in. And in these extraordinary times that we're living in, Kate, when uh, the Prime Minister announced that there was going to be lockdown last night, You were actually at Sky Sports News at the time, weren't you? I was, Andy, and it is extraordinary because, of course, you know, Sky is still going on something like a skeleton staff. So normally you'd come into the studio um, maybe three hours before you go on air and you would say hi to everyone and there would be a teeming newsroom and there'd be, you know, you'd bump into people from Sky News or you'd, I don't know, see someone from the website team. But as it is at the moment, there's just as few people as can possibly be in that little space to make everything still run. And everyone's pretty somber. And then, so I was I was on a, a six um, for about an hour and then on again just after the uh, the prime minister's announcement for about an hour and a half and it is pretty bizarre to because of course even though we're trying to still bring you sports news mm. in these straightened times it's still a case that of course you have to reflect what's going on that's the most pe- important thing in people's minds so yeah it was pretty bizarre to come on air at 8 30 and say this is by sky sports news and the Prime Minister has just addressed the nation. Here he is. <laughs> it's kind of wartime stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. And um, while football's in this kind of holding pattern, um, we don't know how long this piece of string is, and um, especially the different stages that different countries are, are, are at, we don't really know when not just football in the Premier League or the UK, but in Europe, will be able to, 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 to resume and you know, maybe it's not even the most important thing at the moment. Well, definitely it's not the most important thing at the moment. But of course, there are footballers out there who are faced with this unprecedented situation and trying to get themselves in Nick for a season that they presume at some point will restart. So obviously there are physical and mental implications to that for them. So with that in mind, uh, we've got former Arsenal and England physio Gary Lewin on earlier and he talked to us just about what the players might be going through at the moment and how they might be preparing for a situation that you can't really prepare for. I don't think they'll be well prepared because I think this is something that nobody, let alone footballers, has ever experienced before. Um, They would have all experienced during their careers periods of time when they've been off through injury, through other reasons, um, for illness. But not to the degree this is completely unprecedented for anybody, really. So 
um, what would have happened is that in the last two or three weeks, as this has sort of progressed, football club, their background staff would have been assessing what they could do with their players, how they could best do it, um, and then analysing what equipment would be needed, what equipment the players would have, and trying to set programmes, realistic programmes, that players could maintain some level of um, physical well-being um, and fitness, but obviously in a very restricted environment. Gary, we're not unaware of what the top players are up to because they kind of walk us through their lives habitually through yeah. Instagram. Um, but obviously we know what sort of Sergio Ramos and Cristiano Ronaldo and people like that are, are doing at home because they have these enormous gyms at home. Tell us what the challenges would be for lower division players, be it in England or elsewhere, who perhaps live in more restricted spaces and don't really have access to, to those sort of top-of-the-range facilities. Yeah, well, I think it even goes further afield than that, even in the premiership clubs, because um, everyone thinks of premiership clubs and their multi-million pound first-team players. But what you've got to remember is the big clubs also have big academies and very, very um, in-depth development squads and, and academy players. And, and uh, Arsenal, um, where well, I still have an association with the Arsenal women's team, we have one of the most successful women's teams around. And... They don't have access to a lot of these facilities. So even the bigger clubs have got these logistical problems as well as, as the smaller clubs. Now, the first thing that the, the clubs and the backroom staff would try and work out is, okay, what sort of things do we need them to be doing to be maintaining any kind of... It's not only physical fitness, but actually um, strength and power because... A lot of programs, when the players are in the clubs, is about developing strength and maintaining strength, maintaining balance, maintaining mobility with with power. So there'll be lots and lots of different ways of doing it. Of the obvious ones are the CV, so the bikes. Um, they are allowed to go out running still in the parks, which I think is very very helpful in, in the professional sport for players to be able to do that. Um, but also like mini circuits at home. I mean, one of the biggest things we've been sending out to a lot of the players is, is kettlebells and dumbbells and, and power bands so they can do um, some basic circuits indoors to maintain a lot of power. And again, that's where you can come to creative. I mean, if they've got stairs, you can do work on stairs. Um, you can do a lot of um, – There's we're doing a lot of yoga work um, and putting out yoga classes um, to the players. Um this is where the internet is so powerful in that a lot of clubs have got um, internet connections for the teams. Um, and so they can do group sessions. Um, there was one on the telly the other day. Um, I was watching a, a lady who did parties for kids and she did this online party for about 20 kids. And it was absolutely fantastic what they did. And so again, it's being creative um, and trying to work out what facilities you can, we can all tap into whilst being at home. But it goes further than that as well. You've got players that um, are foreign players in a foreign country um, may not have their families here, may be on their own. So there, there's loads of different aspects of it that really need to be looked at. And, and, and it's, not, it's not an easy thing to answer because every person will be completely different and every surrounding will be different. So the, the clubs have got to be very, very... Um, creative in how they try and get their players to exercise. 
You touched on it a bit there, Gary. Obviously, what footballers have had, what all of us have had, fans have had this routine of going to football, watching football, you know, twice a week, three times a week, multiple games on the weekend for months and months and months, all our lives perhaps. And they've, everyone's lost this in one uh, fell swoop. What... What do you understand about the impact that could have on on players' mental well-being? I mean, this is such a vast subject. I mean, you can. I've heard the the, the phrase institutionalized used, and, it, and, it, and it's not wrong. Players, their whole lives are geared around about performance and getting ready for the next game. And we're now in the business end of the season. So we're in the last 10, 12 games of the league season. You're getting into the final stages of all cup competitions. And suddenly that stops. And again, I mentioned it earlier, this this will be unprecedented because players sometimes stop through injury. Players sometimes stop through illness or they stop because they've been dropped from the team. But the matches still go on. Um, I mean, from a personal thing over the weekend, turning the telly on and there's no match of the day of a game going on or there's no live um, reporting of any sport anywhere. Um, it's a massive void. So that's from a sports perspective that there's suddenly this adrenaline rush they, they get two or three times a week, this competitive um, urge they get on a regular basis is now being withdrawn. So again, that would come into some of the... Um, thinking of the support staff in that if they were doing group sessions with players to make it competitive. So you, you get this competitive edge um, still amongst the squad. That's from a sporting point of view. You've also got, and I, I sort of touched on it earlier, is the mental and the mental well-being aspect of they're scared. I mean, this is, this is a virus that can affect anybody in their day-to-day lives. You've already seen instances of managers and players around the world that have actually been infected. And <clears throat> although the experts are telling us that young, fit people may only get a mild dose of it, you, you're still hearing stories of other people that are, are fit, relatively fit and healthy that we know of that have still been affected in, in a really bad way. So they're scared. They're scared for their families. They, they don't want their families to become ill. Their parents... Players, footballers, even if in their own countries, get scattered around the country, but there are a lot of foreign players here. I mean, one of the biggest um, um, fears they've got is being away from their parents. Could you imagine if you're living in a foreign country and your parents are elderly and you're thinking, well, if I don't go home and something bad happens to them, I'll never forgive myself. If I go home, I'm putting me and my family at risk because I'm travelling and I'm putting my family at risk of actually catching the virus. So there's, there's a lot of pressure on, on, on everybody, but obviously I'm just talking about footballers, from not only about the lack of football, but also what's going on in everyone's life day to day at the moment. Finally, Gary, do you think this is a possible positive aspect that we could take from this whole terrible situation, that we arrive at a point where we understand players' physical and mental needs a bit better? I, I'm I'm always a, a, a glass half full, not half empty, and I think there's always positives that will come out of situations like this. Um, I think the awareness of the general public of how important exercise is, 
I think the the awareness, um, the mental health aspects of the, of of this, using players as an illustration about even elite sports people um, um, can suffer. Um, I think there's a lot of positives, and from a personal point of view, the number of people that will be taking up exercise in their home environment, it would be lovely to see if they carried that on because I think the the the, the population in general. I think there will be a lot of positives that come out of it. From a football aspect, I mean, the biggest po- pos- the biggest thing that's hit me, positive that's hit me already, is uh, we've only been shut down two weeks and I'm missing it like mad already. So <laughs> I think the enthusiasm for the sport will, will, will grow and grow and grow. Um, and I think also it brings the elite sportsmen to the level of Joe Public in that they're in the same boat. We're all, we're all in the same boat. We're going through an incredible, um, I keep using the word unprecedented, uh, an incredible time in our lives that I don't think anyone would have ever experienced before. So, yes, I think there will be a lot of positives that will come out of it. So, Gary Lewin there, thanks so much uh, to him for for, for joining us. There's it's a lot to unpick here, really, isn't, isn't there, Kate? And, um, you know, it's, it's a discussion that I guess we've had more and more in, in football over the last little while. The mental health side of it and the fact that um, money and status doesn't make you immune to any of this. Um, footballers, I think more than a lot of other people in society will probably need guidance right now because they're used to following very strict set rules and a, a timetable. So having time on your hands can be quite a scary old business, can't it? Yeah, tell me about it. I mean, he says in that about the idea of being institutionalised and I think probably Premier League footballers could be the most extreme example, I mean, barring the army or something like that, but the most extreme Mm. example of it, because ever since they've been tight, most of them, ever since they've been tiny little kids, they've had people telling them exactly what to eat and where to go and, and how their day is going to play out. And I think from what we understand of uh, most clubs who are setting these training plans for all of the, all of their players, it will still be being structured, but there is this new level of determining how you're going to spend your day and not having anywhere to go that I think must be very mentally taxing. And when we talked to Gary, he said, he he, he brought it up first. He really wanted to talk about the mental side of things. Yeah, he did, because, yeah. Yeah, because he feels as though perhaps people don't realise it's a good way of seeing how similar we all are. I guess it's, it's a pandemic. It turns out is a massive leveler on society, right? Everyone mm. has to work out how they deal with this kind of uncertainty. But I guess the other thing with footballers, Kate, and it, it, it might seem like quite a, a minor, simple thing. They're used to working outside every day. Now, not mm. everyone, not us and not everyone listening to this will be in the same boat. We might spend a, a lot of time um, in offices or, or, or places like that. But for them, like being inside might feel a little bit like being trapped. Oh my goodness, yeah. I, that hadn't actually occurred to me. I think the old um, one exercise, one piece of exercise outside a day that uh, Boris Johnson announced last night. I suppose the question is how long can that go on for? How long are you allowed to exercise outside for? Perhaps you could... Uh, set up some incredibly diligent circuits in your garden. I mean, that will be presumably, you think of footballers as all having these really grand houses, don't you? Yeah. Um, but we're talking about all levels of the football pyramids here in terms of the structure of their lives. So yeah, I'm sure Premier League players have, to a man, got 
massive gardens that they can do incredibly impressive hit circuits in but um further down you go that absolutely isn't the case and and people in London many people don't have any outdoor space so yeah the other thing is you know well-being wise being out in nature in Japan they have this thing forest bathing which just basically means going for a walk in the forest um but it's it's found to have just huge psychological health benefits just the very act of getting into nature um and of course there's the benefits of vitamin d as well um yeah so these are all just huge huge elements and um the the timetabling thing we've we've talked about it again and again and again people are kind of um reaching in the dark for, for for something i guess some sort of sustenance in a way you know that um we can all hope together that there's going to be an end to this and if we could put um a time on when there was going to be an end to this maybe some people would would find it easier but i think gary's point kate that he made about um just that there being so many um move moving parts at the moment i, I think that's that's absolutely right and i thought it was really interesting to hear him pointing out you know after that there's the point where we think it's safe for footballers to train in groups. And we've, we've seen it in, in Italy this week and um, a, a couple of other countries that individual teams have, uh, Germany as well, have taken the decision to start training again as, as a group, which, you know, I'm, I'm no medical scientist. I, I don't know if that's um, a good thing, if it's detrimental, even though it seems that if we are all staying inside it, it it suggests it's maybe a a little bit premature. Um, But I I guess there are two things about this. Firstly, the fact that it it feels for a lot of people in football that they need to be doing something as a group. And the other thing that Gary was touching on, once it is safer for footballers to work again, whether that be behind closed doors, which I would presume would be the case or or whatever, um, there's going to have to be the bit where they do that restart that sort of pre-season and there's going to have to be the bit where the games are actually scheduled after that so it is really this two-stage process yeah I thought it was so interesting to hear him say as well that in terms of coming back to fitness the question of course if you play if you get made to play a lot of games in a row which presumably will happen you know we've heard um Gary Neville talking about this festival of football and everyone can just play nine days in a row if they had to. Um, the danger there is, of course, not overtraining. It's just having that difficulty that you you might just injure yourself because your body's not resilient enough. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Kate. And I, I think it's something that Gary brought up that a lot of people in English football are a little bit reticent to bring up because it's tradition and and what have you. The fact that not only do we keep going at Christmas, um, but we accelerate the intensity of it at Christmas. There are actually more games. And I know from going around Europe that people look at us like we're insane, that that, that we actually ramp it up around that, that period, especially in the, in the modern era. I mean, I don't think we can cling to what we call tradition when it flies in, in the face of, um, what a lot of people like Gary think is 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 just you know scientific and and, and well being nonsense because he is right like, like the the quality of of football is 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 very very variable I think at Christmas and we always talk about it as a great thing don't we the fact that oh anyone can beat anyone in the the, the Premier League when it's Christmas and it's well yeah exactly it's because everyone's not at optimum level after they've played 
three games in in, in a week. I mean. Right going back to the start of this, before when you had a couple of Champions League games postponed and when most of the leagues were, were still going, I, d- I don't know what your thoughts were, Kate, about when uh, there was this panic about games being postponed, mm. there was no obvious place to to, to, to put them. So, so have we finally got to a point where we can realise that, yeah, the calendar's too busy? Yeah, because when uh, cities... Premier League game was called off. They were due to just play every, I think it was every four days or maybe even sometimes three days for yeah. until the end of the season. Yeah. And I, and I and you started to see what an issue it was. I mean, look, we've known for some time, Andy, that the the season is crammed full of stuff. And I think this year with Liverpool trying to win the Club World Cup and not putting out their proper side to play FA Cup and League Cup yeah. and all this sorts of stuff. We, we've seen what's going on here. It's not really practical for teams to play as much football as they do. Probably the flip side of that argument, of course, is that these are elite athletes. They've got good people like Gary looking after them all the time. And he seemed to think it would be okay to play a lot of games as long as they were looked after properly. I mean, I think more his concern was was the uncertainty, wasn't it? Um, I was reading this, um, there's a study... Let me tell you about a study from the University College of London. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading a lot about uncertainty at the moment because I think this is the main the main concern for football for everyone is that it's more about the fact that we don't know what's going to happen than mm. that something definitely bad is going to happen. So at the moment, you and I, Andy, we're, we're quite healthy. At least I assume you are. You always seem fine. Um, you know, we're fairly young. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine Our quite kind. physically fit. <laughs> Again, I don't know, um, but you know, we're we're, pro- we're not the vulnerable here, and of course, we have friends um, and relatives who are potentially vulnerable, so they're a worry to us. But in terms of our own personal physical capabilities, yeah, we probably feel as though we're comparatively safe. But it's more a question of the fact that we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what the future looks like, according to the study I was looking at, it says that that's more of a, that's a more stressful state to be in than actually knowing that something bad is going to happen, which is an extraordinary thought really, isn't it? That know it, you know, that, because basically yeah, if you it, know something bad is going to happen, you can plan for it. I do wonder if this is maybe about a, a reordering of, of of life as well, and a, a reordering of, of of what's what's reasonable and, and what what works for us. I mean, mm. to a point, our, our our default has been right. Let's have as much football as possible. Let's be able to watch it every night of the week. Now, obviously, we're at a position. Um, in the world, pretty much everyone in the world where, you know, sport is important and we miss it, but it's not the most important thing. And and, and this has reminded us of, of that. But when we come back, do you think there'll be some sort of lasting change for a significant amount of people that, that there is more to life than this? And maybe we can survive without there being football on six or seven nights a week? I think the demand for football is going to be greater than ever isn't it Andy I mean yeah, yeah, Gary I was saying there 
wasn't it? You know, it's been, can you believe it's been two weeks and we're just, um, on, on Sky, they did this Monday Night Football Retro uh, edition and it was just some clips from uh, Leeds 4, Liverpool 3, 2000, 2001 season. And oh my goodness me, everyone was watching these goals with this, you know, slavish devotion on their faces. It was just so exciting to see some, <laughs> some football on the telly. So the difficulty is, right, the demand is there and people will watch it if if you put it on and, and people people love it. So I don't know. I, I think you well, tell me what you think. Um well I would say that um my smallest children who football's not even really their main thing, they've already sat down and uh watched the best of Gaza. And I mean, off the pitch as well as on the pitch, obviously. So they've, they've started to they've started to embrace the historic as as, as much as as much as anyone else. Um, but yeah, you do have to wonder if yes, something something changes here. I, I think something has to change here. But at the moment, because we don't know where the end is, we don't know exactly what that that change is is, is going to be. I think it it has to be something. And I think because of the fact that pretty much globally people feel this season has to finish at some point. We talked about this on, on Jules and Andy last week. Um, that automatically means next season gets chopped, N- not completely chopped maybe, but truncated, certainly shortened. And um, I wonder if, if that is maybe the starting point rather than the end of this current season that's still to start again. But next season, mm. 2021, is, is maybe the point where we order stuff into, you know, more of a, a manageable schedule. Because at, at, at the moment, obviously, this is a major event, but there's no room for anything minor to, to go wrong, is there? Yeah, I don't know how that is going to work, though, Andy, because the, the new season, let's just take the Premier League to start with, obviously, 38 rounds per season. Mm can't you're not presumably suggesting that we cut down the Premier League in terms of number of teams then there's all these yes additional tournaments that have their pros and cons I'm not here to judge the importance comparatively of the FA Cup or the uh, Club World Cup or any of these other things the Intertoto sadly departed but (laughs) everyone has got something there are so many people in place to organize these tournaments and to make them happen. And there's a lot of investment. I mean, business, but also just people working on these things to try and make them a success. I, who is going to stand back and say, oh, no, that's fine. We'll just can this various bit of football. We don't need it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills, or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily uh, with me, Andy Brassel, and Kate Mason, who, are you feeling comfy in the chair? Are you feeling good? I am. I'm sitting up very straight, Andy, because I've got my uh, microphone attached to something that's not very stable and I have to sort of lean into it. Birdcage, did you say? Well, I, it was the first thing I thought of that might have been <laughs> like able to support a freestanding Mic that wasn't a mic stand. One day into quarantine, and Brassel is stir fry crazy. <laughs> you've, you've, you've just got to imagine what other people are doing. That's that's the problem. So that only limits your imagination at the moment. It's a sort of a sideboard thing, to be honest, Andy. But yeah, I'm sitting perched on the edge of the sofa so that I've got my um, correct distance from the microphone, as discussed with Luke yesterday in great detail. Okay, so lovely. Well. Well, don't, it's don't, going topple. Right. don't topple. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all about keeping up that, that physical form for all of us at the, at the, at the moment. Um, so yeah. we, we, we touched on last week, me and Jules, about um, how we have to keep a, a special eye on the low division clubs, which is such a, a rich part of English football tapestry. Now, mm. I, I know you've been speaking to Maggie Murphy, the general manager at, at Lewis recently, Kate, about... Um, what these clubs actually mean as uh, community hubs outside the f- the football sense, which I found quite interesting because, you know, we, we have tended to look in the early stages of this discussion and we're still at the early stages of, uh, you know, funding and support discussion for football at all levels. Um, but we've tended to look at, at lower division football clubs as these sort of, you know, prone things that we have to help and have to rescue. But, they offer a lot more of value than just the fact that people like to go and watch them on a Saturday, don't they? Yeah, Maggie Murphy, thanks for that little uh, hookup, Andy, because of course she did uh, Ramble Meets with you. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favourite Ramble Meets. Yeah, it, it was a really good one and she is great. Um, yeah, we were talking about how basically Lewis Football Club, obviously Lewis is quite a small place down in East Sussex and it is a hub for the community, as as you point out. One of the really sad things in this pandemic 
for Lewis, Maggie says, is it's a little community place that people come together. They've got this lovely little bar, as you'll remember from when you went down there, where there's, you know, Prosecco on tap and Craft Ale and all these things. And they hire it I'm out. I'm not going for the Prosecco. Oh, did you not? No. Oh, well. <laughs> You're special, <Maybe>. obviously. <laughs> Well, I wasn't, I wasn't going to say anything, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, and of course these clubs as well make, tend to make money as all clubs do, but it's more significant perhaps for lower league clubs from being able to rent their space out. You know, they've got a Mm. 3G pitch that they, uh, other people use, um, in the community, but also it's just, it's just a place where people can come and have a nice old social time in a, in a friendly environment. And of course with, with football being suspended, that's gone for now. Um, and she said that they've set up this thing on their website, um, just as a shout out really to ask if anyone needs anything effectively fetching or gathering. Does anyone need any mm. medication picked up? Um, because she felt as though people might feel as though your football club, you have more of a sense of its identity, right? So it's less scary to say, yeah, guys, I'm struggling a bit. Would you mind grabbing this and this for me? If it's mm. a football club that you're talking to that feels much more like a, a friendly human face rather than perhaps getting in touch with one of these really great and lovely um, Facebook coronavirus uh, outreach projects. So, yeah, she said that some of the staff have been dropping um, things off for, for local residents. And it's just on their website if you wanted to take a look. Um, yeah, and if you're it, local presumably and, and, it, and it's something that you know football clubs these football clubs do all year round in, in the football league isn't it it's not just a, a case of right we've got nothing to do so we're going to interact with our community and we're going to try and help out the vulnerable I think mm. you know you, you look at a lot of clubs and I, I know this case with AFC Wimbledon and numerous other clubs in, in the football league are we starting to realise where their true value is Yes. I got the Plowlane Bond thing through my door, actually, Andy. I didn't know you'd oh, did you were using it. Yes. I, I, I could have emailed, uh, save myself the work. Walk. Yeah. Give me a call. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting. She said as well, I think we're all trying to take some sort of positives that we can from this terrible situation. Um as I suppose, natural optimists. I've got to say, actually, last night when I came in from Sky, I felt I felt pretty down about the whole thing because you you start to see the knock-on effect and when mm. something as extreme as the Prime Minister having to address the nation and put everyone into isolation yeah. uh, comes out. It's, you know, we don't have the capacity particularly to deal with that. And the um, normally things you do to cheer yourself up, they're all gone, right? It's, you know, it's like being injured. But anyway, um, that's a side point. I just, I'm just trying to say that it's difficult for everyone. And it's really important, I think, to focus on some of these, these positive ideas. And, and hopefully the football club as part of the community will be strengthened in the long run. And hopefully Premier League clubs as well, some of which are very good at that, will continue to be more of a part of their community as this as this goes on and and to help out if they can 
Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. And, and we really hope that's the case. Uh, we, look, we've got a ton of correspondence and you've been brilliant as as always. Um, it's at Andy Brassel, at Jules Breach, usually at KVL Mason and Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Um, we've got a very full mailbag. And this is one that I, I felt was particularly germane given what we've just been talking about, Kate. And... Um, uh, Nick Hardy has got in touch and uh, said, what do you think of the idea of forcing a pre-season before the season returns, forcing Premier League and Championship clubs to play away at local League One, League Two or conference clubs? It would guarantee full-scale gate receipts for small clubs in each region where they are surely needed. Uh, all games would definitely sell out as everyone is missing football. Thanks, Nick. What do you reckon, Kate? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Everyone is certainly missing football. Um, I don't know how exactly that would work, but I think we've got time on our hands, haven't we, to have these kind of debates. Yes. And that does seem like a good way, potentially, of supporting um, local clubs. I don't know. Would that be the main way that football clubs would want to be supported? I don't know. What, what do you think on this? Um, I think it's a really interesting suggestion. And the, the, the fact is that, as you pointed out, people will you know, not just want to see the games, but want to come to the games. I, I think the major impediment with that is the possibility that, or I would say less pro- possibility, more probability that once the various seasons, and I, I don't just talk about this in the Premier League, but all across Europe restart, I suspect that at least initially they will be behind closed doors. Um, mm. for, for a number of reasons, including the fact that um, the authorities and, and public um, services are, are, are stretched. I mean, you know, maybe mm. there would be, we've just talked about how packed the calendar was, but if there was to be some um, case where there was um, leeway in the calendar, maybe, maybe something could be put in there. Or maybe if we do reach a point where 2021 season is 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 taking place um i mean it, it might be that the cups are, are thinned out or paused or in in, in some cases got rid mm. of as, as as you kind of alluded to before kate but maybe the idea would be this year to make that sort of contribution if uh, the fa cup does happen in 2021 whenever that may start maybe premier league clubs have to be drawn away and they have to be kept apart from other Premier League clubs in the draw, maybe for the first round or for the first two rounds, in a similar situation to what happens in the DFB Pokal when that starts at the start of the season in in, in Germany or something like that. Because Mm. I think that would be something that doesn't mess with the current calendar, but does offer something to those smaller clubs who, who need some help. You're well into that, aren't you? I I think it's been debated quite often, um, in the context of trying to make the FA Cup more relevant um, in the modern era. So I'm on the fence a bit about this, Andy. I know you're keen on it from a a German Bundesliga perspective, but it's one of the many things that has been suggested in terms of trying to, inverted commas, improve um, the FA Cup. If it could be a sellout, I think, then that could be very useful. And you know, when we're talking about having 
games played behind closed doors in the Premier League, they have been discussing having that at a neutral venue because then, do you remember in the Champions League, one of the last games, the PSG game against uh, Borussia Dortmund? Yeah. It was it was behind closed doors, very good, but there were thousands of Paris Saint-Germain fans outside the stadium congregating. So you've yeah. got to be careful, of course, if you put your game on in somewhere local that all the fans will come and it will come in some regards defeat the point of having it there. So perhaps that could be an option. Um, your neutral your neutral ground could be one of these lower league clubs. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting idea and um, we, we've got plenty of time to, 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 to thrash it all out. Uh, we've got another one here from uh, Jamie Davidson. Um, He's got in touch and said, really enjoy the show. Always give a fresh and interesting perspective on the week's football. Thanks, Jamie. My question is about the effect the virus will have on the transfer market over the next few years, both at the top level and lower down the pyramid. We've been seeing a significant rise in transfer fees in the past few decades, epitomized by the ludicrous fees paid for players like Neymar at the top level, as well as fees in excess of £10 million being regularly played in the championship. Due to the financial strain, put on all football clubs, but mainly smaller ones by the COVID-19 outbreak. Will we see a crash in the transfer market as clubs are forced to sell players due to loss of matchday revenue, putting a huge financial strain on certain clubs? There'll be a much higher availability of players as well as a higher necessity of selling said players. Um, it's, it's an interesting one, this, isn't it? Because we've, we've been uh, talking, and I think Jules and I touched on last week, the idea of um, contracts and where that might be. I think that's one of the smaller problems that exists going forward when, whenever the various seasons uh, do resume. But the, the transfer market is a, is a big deal. And it's a particularly a big deal for smaller clubs who are looking to sell on to survive. Yeah, it's a slightly different case with Neymar, for instance, isn't it? Those ones yeah. at the top of the pyramid because I, mean, I, I was out in Qatar when that was going on because I used to work for being sports out there. And I remember it very vividly, this sense that for some clubs, for some owners, clearly money is no object. So whether or not the rest of the transfer fees become much lower they'll I think you'll still have these outliers because it's more of a statement by rather than any kind of um attempt to conduct business in a an organized way um yeah it's it's more about um yeah making a statement purchase making a I'm I'm buying Neymar and this is who is going to represent my ambition at the club and they're not restricted by um, questions of the value of Neymar, really, to some so clubs. What, he's, they would have an, an infinite a, value. He's a status, he's a status symbol, symbol. Ra- rather rather than anything else. That, that's, yeah. that's really interesting. I mean, I kind of wonder, conversely, for the elite clubs, might there be more of these type of signings once, once various leagues restart? Yeah, and it's really interesting. In football, I was... Um, Oh, I'd have to dig out the podcast and we can tweet it or I can let Charlie know. But there was, I was listening to a podcast about trading at players. And supposedly in basketball, you probably know this better than me, Andy, basketball, it's much better to get your statement players in. Um, if you get LeBron James, of course, there's fewer players in basketball. You can, But if you get him, he can turn your entire season around. Yeah. Um, it's much better to have your one, spend all your money on your one amazing player. Whereas in football, according to this um, podcast, it was much more about try and improve the lower 
um, the bottom end of your squad. I don't mean the mm. defence. I mean the <laughs> least good players um, in in the team because it actually is more of like the, the benefit is more spread around the squad. So actually, frankly, in terms of how the team plays, football is, to make an obvious point, much more of a team sport. It's actually not that useful necessarily you're not gonna okay maybe messy aside you're not gonna as we found out with Paris Saint-Germain secure a Champions League title just because yeah. you've got Neymar people yeah. are, they're not doing it for footballing reasons is what I'm trying to yeah, say yeah it feels like more of a marketing benefit doesn't it and I think it's interesting to see that up until this point of the season now the fact that Paris Saint-Germain have, have looked more composed and together in in the Champions League I mean part of that's as you pointed out earlier, Kate, uh, a very particular context about um, how they play behind closed doors at the Parc de France uh, against Dortmund for the second leg. But th- th- they made a lot more sensible signings last year and, and that mm. really worked for them, alluding to that sort of balance that you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. So that's that whole point. In terms of crashing the transfer market, I suppose at any recession, it's going to be a case that people become more conservative in their purchases. Or, or maybe, so, maybe maybe the wages are affected because, you know, the, the, the clubs are simply not in a position to start throwing big money around or, or the sort of money that they were going to put around before. Because, of course, they're still on the hook for all the contracts they've signed already, aren't they? Yeah. And this is a problem, you know, globally. globally. People yeah. have set up their lives and their businesses with a certain understanding of what's going to happen and then this pandemic just wipes that all away there's just Mm. nothing the same nothing you could have predicted would be like this i don't think that's that's us for 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 this week on on jules and andy um again um thanks so much for joining us kate it's been a real pleasure and we'll see you on football ramble daily again soon Thank you, Andy. I have had a lovely time. I look forward to being able to make eye contact again soon. It's going to happen. It's going to happen (laughs) one of these days. And obviously, uh, all the best to Jules Breach. And we hope you get well soon. And we will see you all. Feel better, Jules. We will see you all next week here on Jules and Andy. Take care, guys. This was a Stakhanov production.